the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like and come and join us in the chat. We're getting interactive here on a Wednesday, Bud, at uh, SEC Media Days. Tomorrow, once we've had a little bit more to churn through, we'll do some more SEC Media Days specific conversations. But we do have one special guest joining us later in the show, perhaps with some insight on our doors, our favorite SEC program. We'll see. Uh, Be sure to keep it here, youtube.com slash cover three. And if you got any questions for our special guest who will be joining us a little later, be sure to get those ready as well. Love to always reward those of you who come in before the show and get the conversation going on a mailbag episode. Uh, So let's go with this question from Richard, bud. Richard asks, best game day spot to visit if you could only attend one game in a season. Take in the ticket access, the tailgate, the hotel situation, flights, and any other activities around the area. Best game day spot if you only get to go to one per season. All right. So this is from the fan perspective, right? Yes. And just full disclosure here, like since we're in media, we don't mess with tickets. So I don't know about ticket access at most of these places. I do try to tailgate responsibly before I go to the press box. Hotel situation, media hotels are kind of blocked off in many cases. So like you can get a hotel to a place, you know, like that they 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 reserve the school kind of helps you out. Not for like a regular season road game though. Yeah, that could be tough. That could be tough for it's sure. It's dicey. Um, I did an SEC tour in the 2018 season and uh, you know, trying to like uh, you you had me staying like 45 minutes outside Knoxville, like for example, for uh for a Tennessee Alabama game. You, you, you got to get on that broadcast life, man. I guarantee you, you, you think the SEC on CBS crew do, doesn't have, have rooms blocked off? That's got to get broadcast life. Didn't make the cut for uh, that, no. <laughs> flights. Um, all right, so stuff around it, like for the weekend. Man, I'm going to go LSU. Mm-hmm. I, I just think like, like the, the tailgate scene, the way that the crowd just gets into it, like the the whole vibe and energy of, of the town is uh, – is is pretty live. Um, plus, if I take my wife, I get to knock out a trip to go see the in-laws, right, and, and kind of check that off the bucket because you know, she's from Baton Rouge. So I, LSU, like, legitimately, even, even without that, is really high up there. Man, I think sailgating at Washington would be really pretty cool. So I I would put them there. It's a tough flight from Orlando, but I you could probably get some directs. Yeah, I, I think that when you're looking at the opportunity – to be able to fly somewhere and not then have to get in a car and drive an hour. That's always one, like if, again, taking in everything into consideration. That's where, like, I was surprised at how much I liked being around Auburn, right? But that's still drive to Atlanta, 
For me, it was like stay in Atlanta and then get in the car and drive. Baton Rouge, you can fly right into Baton Rouge. And then you can all, I know some people like to fly into New Orleans and then do the drive. I prefer in Baton Rouge and I'm with you Friday night before an LSU home game. The entire town is absolutely electric. Uh, the atmosphere around the stadium, the tailgating, everyone is so welcoming that you know nothing but cosigns there. But if I was to add uh, a few others to the equation, taking the enti- again like entire uh, you know whole whole thing, trying to say what would the the best fan experience be, I think that you have an opportunity to be able to like get yourself. Into, I mean, of course, look, everybody in the chat saying, like, of course, I'm going to shout out Boone. Like, App State home games at The Rock are incredible. All of Boone is on fire all throughout the weekend. You definitely want to be there. But I think that you've got an opportunity, and this is like an opportunity that I, I still need to do myself. I think that you've got an opportunity to be able to get that, like, either at Ohio State or Michigan to be able to experience Columbus or Ann Arbor on a game day. I think your flights are not going to be that difficult to get to, and you're going to be able to get in there, and then you're going to be able to work your way around. And with the stadiums are so daggum big that I think that you need you should be able to get yourself a ticket and should be able to get yourself in there. That's, that is one that I can't say I've experienced myself, but as you know, I'm continuing to, to look at future trips, right? And you know, places that you want to go. Uh, I definitely want to go see the shoe or the big house. I think that the game day atmosphere around town and uh, in the stadium would be pretty good. I've done Ohio State. I've not done Michigan. I know we have a lot of Michigan fans on the show, especially after our our great summer school episode with Sam Webb. So I I do need to get to Michigan for sure. Uh, Jordan, our producer, did point out in the chat uh, that uh, you can do sailgating and great tailgating at Tennessee. Yeah, shout out to Calhoun's up up and down there. You can kind of dance around Tennessee. Now, I have not done I'm not done Tennessee, but as a guy from Florida, I am not a lake guy. I'm not a freshwater guy. Like I, you know, grew up on the ocean, much more comfortable with ocean stuff than than like lake river stuff. It's just never been my jam, you know. My mag was like, we're gonna buy a boat in Orlando. I was like, no, like not not close enough to the water. Like like uh, lakes are just not my thing. But I do think like freshwater lakes are different, you know, up north where you're not. It, it's just that it's a nicer quality of lake than what we have in Florida. So I don't know. All right. Thanks uh, so Richard. And, and again, like all the suggestions that are coming in, like Madison, Madison, Wisconsin, that's another one that I've got to throw on the, uh, on the board where I got to be able to get to. I mean, but, but we gotta, we gotta start to get North. We gotta get into big 10 country. Big 10 bud. Let's go big 10 bud. We got to do it. Uh, and again, we'll continue to take questions all throughout the episode. So feel free to drop them in the chat uh, before we get to some of the mailbag questions from the big old bag of mail. Uh, one headline that has come out since the last time we've been able to join you live was the punishment coming down from the NCAA's committee on infractions for Tennessee relating to the violations under Jeremy Pruitt. What was there a big old eight million dollar fine a few other punishments as well including if tennessee makes it to a bowl game i think they're gonna make it to a bowl game um when they are at that bowl game and the bowl game is being broadcast they are no they are not going to be allowed to put out the kind of commercials promoting tennessee that you normally see as part of these bowl games but what was not in the punishment was a bowl ban uh, there have been a lot of different ways to piece this apart, including, you know, was it worth it? What do you think about the absence of a bowl ban and what that means for other programs moving forward? Uh, wh- what part of this really stood out to you about Tennessee and the punishments from the NCAA? I think the question you have to ask is, was it worth it? Like Tennessee launched into an investigation into Jeremy Pruitt because he was losing ball games and rubbing a lot of people on campus the wrong way. And they wanted to get him out without paying his buyout. And so they launched into an investigation to find all the dirt. And what they found was an extremely sloppy cheating operation, right? Like, I'm pretty sure all the big teams cheat out there. I'm 100% sure that Nick Saban does not not operate as his own bag man, right? Like, that's how sloppy it was at Tennessee. Like, they're, they're texting on university phones. Hey, remember not to talk about the cheating on university phones. Switch to the burner phone, right? Like. What are we doing here? Uh, so, look, I think ultimately it probably was worth it. $8 million fine. You forfeit some other money. You had to pay a million and a half for the investigation cost. 
So maybe you're saving about a million, maybe two million. But what, how much did you make last year by switching coaching staffs and beating Alabama? Right? right. How many more donations are coming in to Tennessee? Is Spire as successful if Jeremy Pruitt had been allowed to coach another year or two? I mean, personally, I'm kind of sad about it because I love betting against Jeremy Pruitt in games and giving giving out Tennessee's opponents and unders on Locks Pod because he just doesn't believe in playing offense. But for the school, it worked out. To me, it raises an interesting question, though, in contractual drafting, Chip, and that is if you're an agent and you rep a coach, are you going to try to get the school to agree to more narrowly draft the clause that allows the guy to be fired for cause? Because every school cheats out there. They're not all sloppy like this, but I guarantee you every school is paying for Every major school is paying for players in some way. Now, can you trace it back to the head coach fully? Is this mostly on Jeremy Pruitt for being dumb and sloppy? Yeah, I, I, I think so. But if I'm an agent, I'm a little bit worried that my guy can get fired for cause for doing basically what we all know it takes to win. So you can't write it in, not in like, especially in this like post Pat Fitzgerald era, like you schools are not going to um, sign themselves up to, to not be able to make a move on a coach if there's something else like the, to me, the, the paying players thing is going to be different than being able to fire for cause for other kinds of allegations, other kinds of investigations. And that in today's environment, no university president, certainly, and maybe not even a lot of athletic directors are going to set themselves up so that they are going to have to pay out over something that is, you know, not from the permissible benefits. Like to that's where the, the current, NIL environment and whatever the future of that looks like is probably going to play a big role in this as well, which to me is like, this was perfect timing for Tennessee because you mentioned Spire, of course, and the NIL operation that is so robust. The fact that you were able to make this change from Jeremy Pruitt to an offensively innovative coach. I mean, literally the, you just turn it and flip it up from Jeremy Pruitt to Josh Heupel. Let's take everything in terms of the way we approach winning football and let's flip it on its head uh, to have the electricity, to have the wins, to be able to launch the Vols into a new stratosphere at a time when you no longer are having to really worry about putting $300 in a McDonald's bag to be able to you know, help a player in need that you can be able to find, um, you know, some opportunity for him to allow him to be compensated without drifting away from, you know, the, the NCAA rules like the end result is 100% positive. Tennessee is in a much, much better place than it is right now. So like to your question, yeah, I, I think it was worth it. I do not think that universities are going to bend to an agent's will to put in language that will tie them up with a coach and not make it as easy for them to separate just sort of based on the current environment. I do think that maybe the pushback from agents will be like some of the NCAA stuff now puts the responsibility on the head coach for uh, his assistant's behavior. I, I do think if I'm an agent, I'm trying to, to get that part for cause excluded and saying like, hey, if you're going to fire me for cause, you need direct knowledge of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not doing the, 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 the imputed knowledge here. I want you have proof of direct knowledge because that's not a morality thing. It's not a, you know, behavior hazing, like stuff that's clearly unacceptable type thing. I, I, if you're going to get me for this, I, I want you to actually prove it. Otherwise, let me do my thing so we can win ballgames. Uh, do you want to laugh real quick, though? Because I do have well, a, a well, second thought here. Okay, okay, one right, more okay. serious piece of this that I do want to ask, because in the last assistant coaching carousel cycle, there was the question of Jeremy Pruitt, who was then, we did not know what the punishment was going to be. And as the Alabama defensive coordinator position was open, you know, Pete Golden goes to Ole Miss. We're trying to figure out. It does end up getting filled by Kevin Steele. You know, former you know, Nick Saban assistant, you know, old friends getting back together, yada, yada. But Jeremy Pruitt gets a six-year show cause. Now, just because you have a show cause, that does not entirely permit you from being hired. It just makes it much more difficult because, for those of you who don't know what show cause is, it means the university has to show cause to the NCAA of why you should be allowed to be able to come into this position do you think that this punishment and the conclusion of this investigation is going to create barriers that prevent Jeremy Pruitt from being a defensive coordinator at the power five level again in the next couple of years? Yes, I do. Because the NCAA's punishment goes beyond just a, a, a show cause. Uh, 
they say that he's basically suspended for the first year of his employment. I, I don't really know what school is going to take a chance on the guy unless they do some sort of like hybrid model where the first year he's an analyst with a kind of wink wink agreement that he's going to be an on-field coach. The, the one question I would have here is uh, does the show cause and one year mandatory suspension, does that begin when he becomes an on-field coach or can he serve the suspension as an analyst? Right. If he can serve the suspension as an analyst, Jeremy Pruitt's a really bright guy. I'm sure he learned how to pass out the Chick-fil-A bag somewhere. Like if I'm Nick Saban, I, I, I would consider you know taking a chance on him as an analyst if it's that, right? But if not, then I, I think it does hurt it. Like who's gonna hire a defense coordinator who they have to suspend for the first year? Like that is a that's a real detriment uh to him. So yeah. All right, that's, so let's get these jokes off. All right. Okay, so I'm not here to joke about the George Floyd uh, you know, justification that he gave for giving money. Like maybe he really did have introspective with with, with some of the stuff going on in the world at that time and, and felt bad for people who were less fortunate than he was. I do though think that his quote cash driven lifestyle that that uh that, have we seen this cash driven lifestyle? He said that it was regular for him to make four and five figure withdrawals from the ATM and he made 70 of them I think in a two year period. I'm just like as somebody who bets a little bit, I know that it's actually hard to take out five figures from an ATM like and I don't make 3.8 million dollars a year, but right. you you have to call the bank and be like, "Hey, I want my ATM limit rate." So that there's maybe he can actually do this. And I guess he has bank records to prove it. But I got to think like what jobs would actually like not college football coach, certainly not head college football coach, which is the absurdity of this. What jobs would actually require you to with routinely, I mean, like more than once a week, withdraw four and five figures from the ATM? I mean, I, if you're dealing with cash, especially in 2020 to 2023, if you're in this decade, Tim? if you're dealing with cash, then inherently you are, um, you are peddling in untraceable, uh, uh, untraceable goods. I mean, yeah, but like, there's two categories. You're either paying for day labor, right? You know, constru construction foreman. Maybe you run a, a farming operation, or it's vice, right? Pimp, poker player, strip club manager, drug dealer. A guy did did DM us and say uh, antiques dealer. Right, like a guy oh, maybe you're okay. in antiques or something. Uh, you go guy to the, he, he, you go he to runs the flea a scrapyard. Yeah, you go to the flea market yeah. and you're playing, and you've got a trailer, and you're going to buy like four dining room tables and fourteen chairs. Right, and another guy said he runs a scrapyard, and he has to pay a lot of his people who turn in scrap in cash because they don't have bank accounts. Not a college football coach. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right. Over under on four and five figure ATM withdrawals Nick Saban has made over a two year period. Prove it was 70. What, what what do we think for Saban? Does Nick Saban uh, know how to use an ATM? Has he used an ATM? He doesn't trust an ATM. He writes a check to cash and he waits in line at the teller. Like, there's so, no way he, with the guy who's as, as dedicated to the process as he is. Do you think he's sit, like spending time going to an ATM? Somebody else is going to his ATM for him, right? I I don't know. Money's people get funny about money, and I don't know how Nick Saban is about that. I, again, like I just see somebody who has relied on old habits for so long continuing. You know, I've got a buddy who does that. At the beginning of every weekend, he goes uh, on, like on Friday before the bank closes and he writes a check to cash and he waits in line and he gets it. And hey, here are my dollars for the weekend. And that's something yeah. he's been doing since he was like 17 years old. And it's a it's an old school approach. And, and that's where I see Nick Saban being uh, being in the line. Just. The idea that you're going to be sitting at an ATM and uh, taking out that much money, it triggers a lot of alarm bells that you look like food to me, you know, like anytime you're sitting at an ATM in public and it's going, <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't want to be putting that into the universe. And I'm, it's, you know, I, I, I could, I could end up finding myself uh, with some wolves if I, if I'm not careful. Right. Like uh, for Pac-12 Media Day, I have to go pick up my winnings from the Golden Nugget contest. And I'll show y'all, like, we'll, we'll, we'll pretend I'm Jeremy Pruitt. I'll, maybe I'll find an orange hat. Like, where do you put that after the ATM? Like, are you stuck in the – 10 grand is a pretty good – like, you can't wear – like, there's no skinny jeans for Jeremy Pruitt if he's pulling 10 grand or 20 grand from eight. Also, like, what bank? I do – I am kind of curious about this. What, 
excellent sound effect by chip yes totally like what bank are we pulling i guess i'm just i i, I don't make 3.8 million dollars a year but chip that would be hard <laughs> they don't right, anybody in the chat ATM. like can you really pull like 20k from atm i don't think so it's like bank of america you have to call them if you want to raise it over 800. Mm. yeah I, I always thought it was a couple hundred was going to be your limit yeah so we'll see um <laughs> coming up on the other side open up the big old bag of mail with questions about being able to make college football more competitive and a reasonable outlook for Maryland and the future Big Ten. That and more next. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Thank you to Don. Yes, let's get those likes up. We've got to make sure that uh, everyone is ready and the feed is primed for our special guest who will be joining us here shortly. Uh, for now, we're diving into the big old bag of mail. You leave us a five-star review. Put your question in that review. We'll tackle it in a future mailbag episode. This comes from Brett. I'm sure there's an obvious answer to this, but I have to ask. To increase competitive balance, can't they just lower the scholarship limit again? Although it might not matter with NIL money these days. Also, do you guys have any ideas to at least slightly make the sport more competitive between the haves and the have-nots? Love the show and can't wait for the Barton Simmons episode. Hmm. Interesting, interesting comment there, Brett. Interesting. All right, bud, how do we make college football a sport that has been uh, separated by haves and have-nots for decades? How do we make it more competitive? So I actually think it's more competitive than it than it has ever been for the most part, with the exception of when we voted on the national champion, which produced some results, which probably didn't match who the actual best teams in the country were. Chip, I think it's got to be a reduction of either scholarships, which would spread out the talent even more, uh, or potentially a, some kind of salary cap if and when these guys become employees and then legitimate penalties if you are paying these guys outside of the structure like go back to what the 49ers did when they were kind of skirting the salary cap with a bunch of stuff in the early 90s i was like you know seven years old so i don't really remember fully but i've read about it a little bit like you have to make it a serious penalty if you're paying guys on the side outside the salary cap which i don't know if you could actually enforce and prove that but it's if you're going to make it more competitive you got to find a way to limit the amount of talent one team can hoard my thought on the salary cap, because you're right, if we salary cap is where my mind goes, by the way, um, you know, you can only spend this much money on your roster and contracts can be negotiated. And if you want to be able to get uh, the super five star player and the or the best player in the country going into the year, well, now you're going to have to give up a, something elsewhere. I think that talking about skirting the salary cap some of that is inherent even in the NFL where of course we've got more parity than anywhere else just for the idea that if you are going to go be an NFL player in uh, the New York market or the Los Angeles market then you are going to have marketing opportunities that are going to be available to you for you to make more money because that's how I think of like if we go to a salary cap if the uh, players are employees, they can be hired and fired. They have bargaining uh, power. They have contracts that you are still going to find the programs that have the most fan investment from a money standpoint. They are going to be putting together what will be deemed as marketing dollars to make it more attractive to go be a football player for Alabama, to go be a football player for Georgia, um, you know, Tennessee, the, these places where we have seen really significant NIL investment, even in a salary cap world, 
they are going to be able to sell more than just, hey, we can get you to the NFL, right? Like that is always going to be an advantage for between a, the haves and the have-nots. But the only path that I see is a salary cap where at least on paper, you know, with what is going to be put out there as your base salary, you're just not going to be able to load up your roster with four stars and five stars and the very best players in the entire country just because those players are going to want to demand a value where they're only going to be able to achieve elsewhere. I actually had a conversation with, with the guy the other day who's involved in the collective space. And he's like, look, there, we are going to push up against a limit here where there is donor fatigue as far as like, like the, the rising cost of some of these guys. So if you can get a player who is relatively cost controlled out of high school, or at least forgot, like some of these guys get out of high school, you're, you're sort of fringe three and four stars. If you're going to some of the better teams out there, like a, a serious national championship contenders, sort of getting the spot is your NIL right now. Like you're mm. not guaranteed much at all. Like maybe, you know, five or 10 K or something like that, not in the hundreds or, or, you know, close to a million, but like there are some players out there that are extremely valuable to teams right now. I mean, it's like, look, this guy, is not necessarily a mid-level four-star talent. For us, he fits what we do extremely well, and we don't have to pay him, which allows us to go pay up. It's sort of like a very NFL-style conversation. I was like, so we're here. Okay, like this. these are the type of conversations being had in back offices of teams that that just straight up you know, pay their guys, right, and use NIL as a essentially a, a, you know, in run around not having payroll. So... Yeah, I mean, it's Chip is going to be fascinating. What about the lowered scholarship limit? Does do you? Because I, I, if I was to make a prediction right now, I, I would see a future of football where we get rid of scholarship limits. Like the idea of a scholarship limit seems as though we are moving in the opposite direction of that right now. I mean, we have never gone up in scholarships. We have gone from what no cap and then. It was over a hundred, and then it was it got lowered down to slightly over a hundred, and then you went from shoot, it went from like a hundred something. Was there something in the middle between that and ninety? Was it ninety five? They cut the ninety five to eighty five. Ninety three, I think, was the first season of the ninety five to eighty five. Like that, that's when you had to officially be down. I mean, like Bear Bryant and and you know Johnny Majors and like other guys were running teams well into the 150 you know players and they would just give scholarships basically to, to hoard the talent and keep it off other people hell like the reason why you like if you play a if you play football in another sport you count against football as opposed to counting for another sport is schools like nebraska were putting dudes who had never swam competitively or in some cases probably even swam on their football team but listing them as scholarship swimmers or like scholarship bowlers or you know, ball, like they never touched a volleyball, like scholarship men's volleyball, like just kind of fake, not fake teams, but certainly fake scholarship spots on those teams in order to get around the football scholarship limits. So we've always gone down in this sport. I think this is an area where you could see some some split vote, man. Honestly, think about it. Like we know there are G5 teams right now that don't pay for all 85 scholarships. They're like not like they tell their staff, hey, we're only going to pay for like 78 or 80. COVID hit us hard. Attendance has sucked. You know, we'll we'll pay for like eighty this year or seven, you know, seventy-eight. I don't think anybody's really intentionally paying for less than like seventy-eight, but it does happen, right? I bet you G five schools would be totally fine cutting down to like seventy-five. But we can't but power uh, five, no. Well also if we're gonna increase the schedule, we can't cut scholarships. Like that's my my point of this is we cannot be in a position where we are adding more games to you know, the college football playoff and we're expanding it. Now, all of a sudden you're looking at the potential of, you know, some of these teams, the top teams in the country playing 15, 16, 17 games. You cannot, I mean, aside from, you know, the earlier employment conversation, you just cannot be adding that many more you know, reps and hits to the, uh, to the college game without being able to put some depth in there as well, because it, it's just going to really task these, these coaches to the point where you are, you're going to have real problems being able to sustain health throughout the entire season. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Like this, to me, this all points to a split at some point. Or like you're because yeah. uh, yeah. the, the idea, your point about fulfilling all your scholarships. There are 
there are power conference programs, not in football, but in other major sports that don't fulfill, don't bump up against the scholarship limit. And it's a yeah. little bit more like club sports. Um, and that's, you know, that that's where you get the the situation of, you know, would you like to go to, to this, um, this power conference institution and not get to play and, but be on scholarship? Or if you have, are of means, do you go to Boston college where you're going to be able to jump right to the front of the line? They just might not have a scholarship for you. Um, I don't know if that'll happen in football, but it will certainly be part of the big divide, even within FBS. Like when people talk about FBS 1A versus FBS 1AA, both split above the FCS levels, it would be something like that. All right, this next question comes from user Roll Damn Terps. Love the show, boys. I listen to it regularly, and I feel like I've learned so much about the sport, so much more about the sport than I knew. But now I realize I'm swimming in the shallow end. Diehard Terps fan here. I typically go into every season optimistic only to be crushed by week four. But the last few years have given me some hope that we're starting to build something. The last year with divisions, we finally have the potential to make stars some noise in the Big Ten East. But next year with Talia leaving, divisions gone, our future is looking cloudy. What's a reasonable outlook for Maryland's future in the new look Big Ten? Maryland to me is certainly a team that benefits from the Big Ten going divisionless because you're not having to play Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State every single year. Like those are the three teams within the, the, the league in which you are consistently going to be a double digit and maybe three score underdog too in an average year against those teams average year. It's not to say you can never beat them, but for the most part, they're going to beat you and beat you soundly. Now, Mich Maryland is not as good of a program as Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa. Recently, Maryland's certainly been better than Nebraska, but over the history of it, I, I think, and, and commitment level to football, probably not, uh, obviously. But you're still in USC and UCLA coming in. Maryland has played slightly below UCLA level over like the last decade and a half. Uh, clearly below USC. I mean, I think a good season for Maryland is, is like more consistently making bowls. I mean, since, mm -hmm. when did they join the Big Ten? 2013 was, was the last year in the ACC? Yes. Right? So, I mean, they've had a winning record since joining the Big Ten. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. So there's been seven seasons. They've had two, three winning records in seven seasons. I think more consistently making bowl games for Maryland uh, is something I can look forward to. I think finishing in the top half of the new Big Ten is something that is is possible. If you look at Bill Connolly's ratings, they finished inside the top 25 in the last 15 years zero times, inside the top 30 one time, and inside the top 40 one additional time. So, I mean, they're pretty much a program that's somewhere between the 90th and the 55th-ish best program in college football. Like, I don't think that changes a ton. Maybe they consistently play more in the 40s if they're not reckoning up these auto losses uh, to those those powers in the East. What, what, what do you think, Chip? Uh, you know, Maryland should be a bowl team. That is a fair expectation for a Maryland fan to have. And when you're looking at seven wins in 2022, 2021, eight wins in 2022, Mike Loxley and the you know recruiting power of being the flagship right there in the DMV. I think that that is even historically, like you're not going to get back to the point where Maryland was in the ACC, where they were flirting with ACC championship contention every four to five years, but they are certainly should expect a bowl game. And so diehard Terps fan use a roll damn Terps. I would say that your life is getting easier. I know that the addition of USC and UCLA sounds daunting, you should actually raise your expectation, if only slightly, uh, with the way the Big Ten will be realigned. Coming up on the other side, we put up the bat signal, and he answered the return of Barton Simmons. Next. Yes. There he is. Ladies and gentlemen, longtime listeners of the show. That friendly face. Hope you're hopefully you're watching on youtube.com slash cover three. He's not dead. You all have been filling the five star mailbag with R.I.P. Barton for years. 
Joe claiming it's a ghost. That's not a ghost. That is the general manager of Vanderbilt football, Mr. Barton Simmons. Barton, how you doing? What's up, guys? This is you guys are so evolved from when my my last time here was. This is you guys are live streaming. You got comments on the side. I got to. I'll, I'll start you out with this story. Um, speaking of R.I.P. Barton, so I, we were out at a, um, a like a service event, um, like a community service deal for, for, with with the team, and uh, this was probably uh, I don't know spring um, and. Somebody, this was in town. Someone came up to me and was like, um, "Hey, like Barton, I'm a big Cover Three fan." And I was like, uh, "I was like, oh man, yeah, that's great. Great to meet you, man. Thanks for saying hi. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, awesome." And, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, like I actually, you know, they talk about you all the time. I know you used to be on the pod, but like, it's good to finally meet you. This guy had become a Cover Three fan." Since my departure from Cover Three, and only knows about me not from my time on Cover Three, but from R.I.P. Barton. And so, I appreciate you guys keeping my name alive. However, it's a little sobering to know that uh, you were more famous for Cover Three. Lots of fans of this show that like didn't actually even hear me on the show, and so that that makes me feel a little aged. But um, you know, it is what it is, I guess. How's the aging process going, uh, being a part of a Power 5 staff and uh, constantly having to work the roster? We got to talk to you uh, you know, a little bit all throughout the journey. You, of course, joined us after that first SEC win. So how, how are you doing right now? What do you think has sort of evolved or changed in terms of your approach to doing the job of being a general manager in the SEC? Um, I'm, I'm having a blast. I mean, this is like I'm having the time of my life. I think we're we're – we're doing it. Like, I feel really confident in what we're, what we're building, what we're doing, what we're, where we're going. Um, I think it's like, there's an inevitability about what's going to happen here. Um, I think everyone in the building believes that and um, probably not a lot of people outside the building yet, but I think like we hit, um, you know, we hit on 50% of uncommitted guys that, that came into our building this summer on official visits, 50% of them committed. And like, those are guys with, um, Look, I mean, th- those are those are really good players, I, and 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 we're really, guys we're really excited about. And I think that that speaks to like what you know the belief is, and and how people can feel it once you get inside this building. When you see the way we operate, you see that like the processes in place and all these sort of things. Uh, when you hear Clark, our, our head coach, talk, like and and just and then when you watch us practice, I mean, all these things. Like when you when you see it up close, it's. It's, you know, there's there's an inevitability to this, man. I, I really believe that. And so, so yeah, man, I'm having a blast. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is when you first get here in a program and, like, you're, you're building processes and, like, you're reinventing the way to approach things, it's really easy to, like, dive in and attack those things and, and have total conviction about how to do it. The hard part is, like, maintaining that you know, being, being consistent with what those standards you set and, and those processes you put in place. And so that's, that's like, you know, I think we're at a good point in which like we feel great about the, the process that we've built, the, the results they've led in terms of the way that the roster starting to shift. And now it's about like making sure we stay really dialed in and true to those and, and, and consistent with them. All right, either they have these lights on a timer or I'm about to, like, lose the internet, too, here at, at, at the office. You just stand up and wave. Wave your arms. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Eco-friendly CMT building, I guess. Yeah, right, there you go. <laughs> Dude, I love the backdrop. That's awesome. Yeah, you like that? That's, that's what I look at every day. Just these cranes okay. just knocking things down and putting things up. You know, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of drilling, a lot of banging. It's like uh, it, it'd be, but it'd be your son's dream to look out this window because it's just diggers, just esca- excavating and scooping and and flattening, and it's uh, it's cool to watch, man. Um, and hide that SEC money, man. Right. <laughs> we we actually had uh you know we've been we've been tackling some uh some mailbag questions you know the the five star mailbag which was you know of course launched when we had the. Uh, the epic summer of 2020, you know, which brought Barton A&M to life and CPU and Fernelli Tech and the story of uh, being a bouncer, you know, at the uh, <laughs> Slayer concert. Slayer. Right? Yep. Slayer and Toads. 
Yeah, the Slayer concert at Toads. Uh, so this actually was um, a question that's right in your wheelhouse. This is from Jermel. I really enjoy listening to this pod on the regular great chemistry between the group. Mailbag question. A few, a few shows back, Chip referred to Bud as a future college football general manager. Can you all share more about why schools having general managers is important and what advantages do they provide? What background are schools looking for in this type of role? Former players, coaches, media personalities, what do they actually do for the team? Do they just handle recruiting and roster building? Do different schools have nuance in how they implement this role? Great pod. I listen all year. All right. Well, okay. So for us, I think general manager means different things, different places. Mm-hmm. I think for some people, a general manager can be like a, almost like a chief of staff. We actually have a chief of staff here. And I think in a lot of places, a general manager occupies that kind of position for us. The chief of staff, a guy named Ben Cawthon, does a really good job. He sort of like manages the, the building, manages non-football operations in the building and, uh, and the employees and just sort of all just sort of a, a catch all. For me, the general manager role is much more about roster building, roster construction, talent acquisition, talent retention. And so within that, um, there's a lot of layers to it. It's, it's, it's managing our sort of recruiting department, um, scouting department, recruiting. Um, and then obviously within that is transfer portal. And, you know, you, there's a there's a um, uh, NIL strategy, um, retention strategy, um, roster projection, like all those things. But I think ultimately for us and for Clark's vision and what we do, like the coaching profession is so transient by nature. And we're uh, here. I think we we got a chance to to have continuity over a year and 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 sort of retain our staff um, in a way that maybe some other schools don't. I think that'll be an advantage for us over time. But regardless, just the nature of the profession is is transient. It's it's moving around. And and um, and I think if you don't have systems in place that allow for you to recruit over time to a certain standard and for that standard to be really well defined over time you're going to struggle. And as people, as, as coaches come in, there's a natural inclination as a coach. I want to go and I'm going to come competitive and I want to go get the best players I can find. And I want to build my resume up. And I, but like, if, if someone isn't sort of overseeing that and, and holding coaches accountable and, and, and making sure that each individual coach's recruitment fits into the bigger vision, then um, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of volatility and, and your roster is going to have peaks and valleys and ups and downs. But for us, like we have a really clear plan of being a developmental program that, that retains our roster and, and recruits from high school and builds these guys up, high, high developmental upside guys with traits. All those things are, are sort of like that, that only works if we have someone that maintains that vision. And I think for, for Clark, at least, I mean, a lot of coaches want to be really head coaches, want to be really engaged in, in recruiting and scouting. Clark is really engaged in recruiting, really engaged in building relationships and connecting with families and, and being with these guys when they're on campus. But, but he, he, he takes, a, you know, he sort of hands a little bit of the, the talent acquisition part in terms of the, the identification process off to me, which allows him, there's only so, there's a finite amount of time in every head coach's day. And so it allows him to do the things that he's really good at, really passionate about, with a lot of which is like team building, culture building, um, uh, setting standards within this program for when these guys get here. Because ultimately, like for a coach, if, if, if a, you know, there's a lot of coaches that are really good recruiters, but what's the most important thing about being a head coach? I think the most important thing about being a coach is what is the experience those guys have when they're here? Mm-hmm. And, and Clark, when you divide up his 24 hours – you're going to put a lot, like a lot of those that those hours and that slice of the pie is going to go towards the players in the building, and he's pouring into them. Which and so, in order to do that, he has to hand something off, and and he's handing a lot of the the um, just roster building portion of it to me with oversight from him, but in partnership from him. But it it, it just allows um, him to operate at a higher level in terms of the day to day of this program. And that's where you're relationship with the assistants has got to be, you know, Hey, you're pouring a lot of your time and energy into this guy. Does this guy fit? Right. Like you, you're trying to make sure that all of the assistants are splitting up their pie and their 24 hours in a way that's going to be advantageous for, for you, which I I assume means that you've got to have a good read on these recruits. Right. And like, understanding we have a really good understanding of who we are and what we're trying to bring in. And we spend a ton of time as a staff, 
pouring into like what are the what are we looking for specifically and what we're looking for at Vanderbilt. Look, if 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 I was at um, I don't know, I'm not going to name another school, but if I was at another school in the SEC or otherwise, Barton A and M. You, t- I remember you talking about Barton hey, A Barton A and M had a different culture <laughs> than Vanderbilt University. I'm just going to tell you. And so if I was a if I was at BAMU. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for a very different person, and we're, I'm gonna recruit to a very different message. Um, but at, at Vanderbilt, we have to know what our message is. We have to know what we recruit to because, again, if it's a retention plan, if it's a t- strategy around retention and development, then when guys get here, they can't be surprised by what they what they arrive at, and they have to be connected in the recruiting process to the things that are going to be messaged once they're here. And so, and I think another point to that also, when you talk about like. Um, you know, working with those coaches in that way. Like, I think one of the things that allows me to, to, to have this role in our building is my relationship with Clark, the trust we have in that relationship and the, the, um, the loyalty that he has from me. Like what I'm not trying to do is like, let's see how highly ranked my class can get so that I get a lot of uh, headlines and then maybe I'll get a job somewhere else. No, like I actually, I actually, you know, I want our guys to be as low rate as possible because, you know, I just want to get them. I want to get them on campus. And then, and, and, and over time, you know, the, as we stack these classes, um, you know, that's, what's going to lead to that success. And, and Clark knows I'm going to be here. He's going to, he knows I'm going to be with him. And so um, that, that again, I think gives him some peace of mind to, to um, build that continuity and sustainability. I think that's a great point you bring up. Like if you're, if you're Georgia, your job is basically to get as many freaks as possible and then fit your scheme to the fact that like you have better athletes than everybody else in the world. Eventually you guys may get to Georgia's you know, level, but like right now I, I do find like certain schools when they're like, Hey, we don't care about recruiting rankings. It's not that recruiting rankings are off, but it is easier to identify you, you've done this, like the freakiest of the freaks. How important is it that you're on the same page of your coach, not only in terms of culture, but like, Hey, we can, we can sacrifice in this area for the recruit as long as he has sort of these, you know, these areas we won't compromise on in, in terms of fit to find those inefficiencies. Yeah, that that's, I mean, again, like I think if you, okay, listen, I'm just going to say, let's just say Georgia, they just won the national championship last year. If I am, if I'm at Georgia, um, I don't care about rankings in the, in the sense of like, I'm not going to recruit this guy because he's ranked this way. But over time, like I need to be recruiting top five classes every year. Because because you, those are the players that's that's the pool you're you're fishing from. I need Vanderbilt needs to beat SEC teams. They need and, and SEC teams, teams are filled with NFL football players. Vanderbilt is not going to beat other SEC teams that are full of NFL football players with amateur football players. We need NFL football players too. We just need to. We're just going to go about getting them at this stage in the program in a little bit of a different way than some of these other schools, and so that we have to play against. So yeah, we're. Every guy that we're taking, we believe is has an NFL future. We believe is going to be an NFL football player with the right development. But that's the key. Like we are a developmental program. When you look across the SEC, you know we had nine guys leave this program in the transfer portal. Um, we had two guys come into this program, scholarship players in the transfer portal. Um, that is dramatically different than our peers. And I think both of those numbers are important. You know, both we're retaining our roster and we're not going and looking to replace you out of the portal. And by doing that, that allows us again, like we're not valuing someone else's players over our own. Like we're saying we got, got you here for a reason. Now we can't miss. That's why I think this role is so important. We can't miss because once we get you here, it's not about, Hey, you're not playing yet. It's about, look, those traits are still there. All those traits we believed in um, the, the, the character is still there that we believed in. So how do we maximize that character? Uh, how do we maximize those traits rather and, and get you where we need you to be over time. That over time is critical. That retention is critical. A lot of schools, they can walk in the office and say, hey, you're not going to play here. Well, okay, guess what? If I'm not going to play here, there's no reason for me to be here. I'm out. And they and because the education is, you know, trade one education for the other, it's no different. At Vanderbilt, there's a reason to be here. There's something that's going to pull you here. But also, we're not going and looking for someone to replace you with. And I think that's a that's a mentality and a demeanor here that, that allows us to differentiate from our peers. And I think it's, it's not something that's going to allow us to microwave instant success, but it's just something that's going to aggregate over time. And, and, and over time, I think 
like you're going to look up and all of a sudden like we're going to be really, really good and beating really, really good teams. And people are going to be like, well, how did that happen? It's like, I know how it happened. Um, I mean, you just, y'all just weren't in the building, but it's been happening. And, and so um, that's what's I think that's what's exciting about what we're doing. And, and, and I think, um, you know, fires us up about where we're headed. Uh, question from the chat. We got speaking of those uh, those transfer portal additions. Uh, how's Prince Kali looking? He's looking great. I mean, he's a really good player. Um, he's gonna. I think he's gonna have a chance to really help us. I think the great thing about um, Prince and and just about that, like he's gonna have to battle. I mean, he's gonna have to get in camp and go win a job, and he's gonna have to go get in camp and 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 see what his role is. I mean, right now he's just been in t-shirt and shorts and and lifting and running and and all those things have been you know, they've been good for him and good for us to see him. But what's exciting is, and this is really across the board, this is the first time since we've been here is we have depth. We have players. Like our linebacker room actually I think is going to be a really strong position, both with the guys returning in uh, Kane Patterson and Ethan Barr, who played a lot of snaps last year, but also in our young guys. Um, Prince coming in, Langston Patterson was a freshman last year. He's going to be a really good player. Um, Nick Rinaldi was a freshman last year that played. He's going to be a really good player. Bryce Cowan redshirted last year who is, uh, has as high a ceiling as anyone on the roster. I mean, there's a lot of guys, I think, that can play. And so, again, you don't, you don't take Prince Colley in this building for us um, because, you know, we got to force him to play. We took him because there was a relationship with him from, um, mm-hmm. from Coach Lee and Coach Lazinski from recruiting him out of high school. Um, and so when he went in the portal and, and had interest in coming here, like, you know, he, in a lot of years, we, like, we weren't looking for a linebacker. We, we were looking, but, but Prince Colley was a really talented player who had a really strong relationship with our staff. And so we know he was going to fit into our culture and our building. And so he's going to strengthen us. And so um, Prince has got to fight for, for the role he wants, but um, it, it feels great to be able to add a guy like that and just bolster the, the depth of this roster. You know, when we first got here, there was a, on the roster itself, we had, I think, like 97 players total. Um, that, was, that was year one. Um, we're, we're maxed out this year. Um, like we have the 110 fall camp. we got a couple guys that don't be able to fall camp because we're over that number. Like we're, we're, we have the maximum amount of numbers that are as allowable on our roster right now. And, and, and within that, we got some really good walk-ons. We have some, we have scholarship player was with depth. Um, it's, it's the first time since we've been here where it feels like there is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, we, we have, we have lines of players that we can throw at the, at the, at the field and, that's uh that's exciting. All right. So I, I do have, uh, b- before we let you go and I, I need to ask you a question. Um, Count em. wait, this one, how many games are going to win this fall? <laughs> Cause the people are asking, well, I mean, but seriously, like what's how, how are we feeling? How are we feeling about the squad? Um, you know, the the first year one, yeah. Adam says, I want you to know, I just fired a mortgage payment on Vandy over three and a half live. Uh, just just rocking, rocking Smart with confidence investment. in yeah. our doors here on the Cover Three podcast. So the the steps forward are just like so obvious. Like you come in year one and you're snapping like double digit game losing streaks. You're snapping road losing streaks. You know things that had just sort of had fallen off prior to your arrival. Then all of a sudden you jump to five and seven in year two with an SEC win against Florida, SEC win against Kentucky. Uh, you do a good job in the non-con play as well. And so now as you've got, you know, your roster maxed out and as you're, you're looking ahead to the, the schedule, well, how, how are we feeling? What's our focus on, uh, on Vanderbilt football going into the year? Well, I mean, listen, I have to, I have to answer this question as the Vanderbilt football general manager, not as a uh, pod pod mate Barton. So I can't, you know, I can't go, but like, listen, I just don't see it. I just, I just <laughs> have you, I, I'm not expecting you to have listened to our win totals pod, but you know that your description of the Louisville football schedule remains the sounder for the win totals uh, drop for every single win totals episode. I mean, it's just, I just don't see it. Not at the schedule I'm looking at, not unless you know, there's no schedule somewhere. You know what I was thinking is that sound bite. So that, that was from what uh, Bobby Petrino's last year. Yeah. The team that quit in the most amazing way yeah. possible. So we're first of all, like best, like, that was a like a nailed the pick. But secondly, we're like two coaches removed from that soundbite now. I'm just like the time's going by quick, boys. Like yes. it's it's kind of wild. 
So uh, we actually were crazy, and we did a listener meetup last night uh, over at Acme. I right? thought about showing up at that, by the way, Bud, but I had I had you would have gotten stoked on the way. It, like the the storm was really really bad. Uh, good luck to Katie, right? We're, like who who has to take the bar exam next month? New listener loves the Barton clip. Recited like the whole intro uh, <laughs> song for it. So Katie, you're gonna kill the bar exam. Awesome work on that. Thanks. I will say. My odds for Vanderbilt to make a bowl have tripled over what they were last year. Okay. Like, good. Smart. Yeah. Listen, hey, we we openly talk about postseason. Like, we we believe that it's time for us to to make that that jump, and and that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But, you know, we – we believe in this team and, and believe that this is a team that's capable of that. And so, it, you know, the, so we talk about, I mean, listen, every day the margins are going to decide whether we, we get there. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be, the going to be tight games involved and they could go either way. And so um, I think that the only thing I would say is just, I think um, Vanderbilt at this stage is still a program that people look at and um, you're going through the sec and, got to find wins and you're just like, okay, yeah, Vanderbilt, that, that, that'll be a win. I just don't know. Um, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be as, as measured as I can, but like when you hear people talk about Vanderbilt, I just don't know how many people are really paying attention. I just don't. And, and um, I mean, we've got, um, we went five and seven last year. Um, and that was, and that's a, that uh, that's, we're not at all, satisfied about that or beating our chest about that um what we were in that year one i mean golly i mean we were two and ten and let's be real like that 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 was almost zero and 12 like that was not that was not a fun season and that was a that was a battle and a challenge and uh we feel like we made a lot of progress in getting to five and seven you know just this spring and this summer the way this building um, acts around each other, the way this building interacts with football, the way this, these players um, are, are devoted to the process and, and to the, um, and, and to, 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 to improving as people and as players and as, and connecting as a team. Like it's just a totally different feel in this building. And we have the same team as last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, we really do. It, it's, you know, it's it, crusting, right? Because it's like the Missouri game. Oh my gosh. Like right there, then South Carolina. And then like, boom, it's like the dam broke. And then you bring back you. that whole group. I, and, and I think a lot of people look at, there's so many people in the media now, this is the way it works. It's the way I've, I've sort of um, observed is like when, when people look at what is, what is a team going to look like year over year? What they say is like, okay, well, what transfer did they bring in? Like, how is this? How's how is what's like the dramatic shift? And it just goes back to what we talk about in, in our design and building this program is like, yeah, we didn't like this isn't some overhaul roster from a five and seven team. It's it's just it's going to be a lot of the same players. We believe evolved versions of those same players, evolved versions of the chemistry, evolved versions of the understanding of our systems. And so I think with that, you know, we have expectations to be able to take a step forward. We, we know what's in front of us. We know the challenges that are in front of us. I mean, um, you know, if Hawaii's, you know, we got to go be Hawaii. And that's a and, and I'm nervous about them all. I, I mean, it's it's real. But what I do feel really confident in is just the day to day here and and how different. I mean, so like you guys wouldn't believe just how different it feels. I mean, there's guys like when we first got here we had to beg guys to come into the building and, and just like, and now these guys are here all the time on the field, all the time, getting extra work in all the time. And I think when you, and, and, and beyond that, there is like, you're talking about GPS uh, numbers. You're talking about testing numbers. You're talking about heights, weights. Like we are objectively measurably like significantly faster, significantly stronger um, significantly bigger and longer um, year over year over year. And so that doesn't guarantee us anything. And I'm not promising anything, but I'm telling you, like, I, I do feel really good about the direction of this football program. I do feel like this is a football program that's going to be p- competing in time at the highest level in this conference. And um, I, I don't know when that's going to be, but I know that we're going to, we're, we're taking the right steps to, to get to that point. And um, 
I'm really excited about this season and I, and I like the guys we have in this building and I know they're going to battle and um, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see it. The Warriors do arrive August 26th. We got Vandy in week zero yet again. Uh, we'll have to go back and rewatch that 63 to 10 result from, uh, from last year, 35 point third quarter. You're right. It was a little, little tense at first, but man, when the dam broke, that was a, that was a fun, fun, fun game to be able to take in in week zero. Bud, you got anything else? No, I, I just, I, I was looking at some stuff from that crazy 2021 year. And like, even if you don't have access to Barton's GPS stuff, you see it in the coverage teams. I mean, like when, when they got there, Vanderbilt speed wise was legitimately like Mac level coverage stuff. Like they, they were just, and you could see it. I mean, they were like bottom 10 in the country in punt coverage when they weren't fair caught and kick coverage. And now like last year, top half in the country in both like reasonable, like, like that's acceptable for SC team and a huge jump from where they were. You know, so like when you, when you talk about like, do they have a lot of guys that would start at like a Georgia? No, but there's tremendous value in making the bottom half of the roster competitive and having competitive depth like for practice purposes i'm not that you're going to give away the player dev secrets but you've been in this for this is your you know, third season now do you are you finding there are more advancements in player development that like can help you guys you know gain an edge you, you, even if it's a temporary edge then, then you realize going in now that you're on the advancements in, in player like you're talking about specific players uh, or, or like you're talking about processes for player development like, like, like not, not that you have to explain what the processes are but like, like have you guys found like whoa like there's a lot more stuff than i realize you know being on the media side now that we're on this other side well i mean i think i, I really think um when when you're talking about like developing a team there's you can there's i mean listen we have all we have everything everyone else has and we have i think we have really good processes in place. None of it really matters except for like how, how disciplined are you and consistent are you in, in, in operating at a high level. And that's what Clark is a really good job with. Like, you know, if you look at Clark's background in, in uh, developing pros, he's done it everywhere he's ever been, whether it's Syracuse, Wake Forest, UCLA, Notre Dame, South Dakota state, Bowling Green, whatever. He's always produced pros. And that that is not like he doesn't have secret drills. What he does, a, what he's incredible at is like the modernity of excellence, like the the ability to just every day not like not like hold the line, like hold guys accountable, set those standards and hold them to it. And I really think that's what that's what allows is going to allow us to unlock that success over time as long as we deliver to this roster, the players with the traits that are necessary to, to get that, that upside. But you're, you're right. But I mean, like if you literally, I show recruits when they come and visit what our GPS numbers were in 2021, what our GPS numbers were in 2022 and what they're going to be in 2023 is going to be significantly. I mean, like it's, it's dramatic. And, um, and that, you know, the, the aggregate of that is, is powerful. And, um, and so it's uh, it's just stair steps, man. It's just taking those those steps um, one year at a time, one day at a time, one game at a time, one week at a time, all that. Um, and that all sounds a little cliche, but um, being over here on this side of it, um, it, it's it's what what we have big visions, like really big visions here, and they're 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 big enough to where people outside the building like um, kind of laugh at it and. What I'm telling you guys is, I, I, I like a, you cut me open and like I believe in them and and I and and this thing is going to happen here and so uh, make your future bets on Vanderbilt, bud. Yeah, I don't know what you can get, you know, and the, you know I, I don't know I don't know I don't know all the I've, I've lost the gambling lingo. I'm not allowed to talk gambling anymore. But um, we're going to drop Barton in Las Vegas on <laughs> September 23rd. That's right. Some silly rules are going to prevent him from yeah. being able. I mean, hey, listen, look, we're keep we're keep a focus on the ribs. I understand, hundred <laughs> percent. I do have a restaurant wreck. If you guys happen to get out there a day early, uh, the NBA guy turned me on to it. I'll, I'll hit you if you'd like Thai food. Um, I do like Thai food. All right, yeah, yeah I'll, me I'll text you. We're done, um, Martin. Um, this has been really cool. Just all ever since like you got hired all throughout the process, you've allowed cover three to be able to, you know, get a, get an insight into the journey. And, um, we're really proud of you, man. We're, uh, the, it, when we say our doors, 
we are like rooting with our hearts for uh, for for you and uh, the squad to have some success. Well, so. I, I appreciate it. Same. I feel like you guys have like you know once you once you cut me loose, you kind of really took off as a pod. So I'm I'm just glad I still get a little airtime every <laughs> once in a while with you guys. Um, so keep it going. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, I hope to you know make a make an appearance late night one night after a you know a surprise w or something um, uh, that would be october 14th after taking down the dogs in nashville that's when <laughs> that's we're gonna have it promise. Hey, you can follow him on twitter at barton simmons and of course root for the doors every daggum saturday you can follow him at bud elliott three you can follow me at chip patterson underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much 